Amen, please be seated. Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagle's. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over it and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him, and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. The word of the Lord. Hi, my name's Charlie, and uh, as Joe said earlier, I'm a pastor at Oaks Parish, which is in Portland. It's new, it's a church plant just a few years in. I've been there for about uh, a year full-time as assistant pastor, so I'm, I'm kind of a new guy at Oaks Parish. I'm a new guy in our family of churches. And here in the Northwest, in our presbytery, if you don't know what that word means, don't worry. I didn't know what it meant for a long time. It just means our churches that partner together. And uh, three times a year, all the leaders get together and they go talk about stuff. And when I first went last September, I didn't really know anybody. I just met a few people. Uh, And I'm kind of a high-functioning introvert, so... Like, I put on a pretty good social face, but inside I get really nervous in social situations. And so when I first came into this Oaks Parish and our group of churches and started meeting all the pastors and went to that first presbytery meeting, I was really nervous. 
And I want to tell you that Eric Costa was so nice to me, went out of his way to make me feel welcome. He never treated me like a new guy. He never hazed me. He just accepted me as a brother, as a family member, as a fellow pastor. And so, Eric, in front of all your people, I wanted to thank you for the way that you've treated me. Thank you for honoring me like that. Well, enough of that. Um, About two years ago, my wife and I, my wife's name is Becca. Becca and I got to do something that we never really thought we would be able to do in Portland. We're Oaks Parish is in southeast Portland, and we were rooted there. We just, you know, I just came on full time as assistant pastor. This is where we're going to be, and we had an opportunity um, uh, to 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 look at some houses. We never thought we'd be able to buy a house in Portland, but something came up. We had an opportunity, and we bought this little house out in East Portland, almost to Gresham, like Burnside and One Forty Eighth, way out east. And uh, this little bitty place, and we were so proud. I'm still proud. We bought a house in Portland. It, it's a miracle. And we moved in January of 2017. And one of the first things I did when we moved in is I went to Home Depot, and I bought a little push reel mower because we had a little front yard, and we go green at our house, so I got a push reel mower. And uh, I was just waiting for the, you know, the, for the spring to come, for all the grass to turn green and start growing. And it did. And so I was out there every weekend mowing my lawn with my little push-reel mower because I wasn't mowing my dad's lawn. I wasn't mowing my landlord's lawn. I was mowing my lawn. And God said, cultivate the earth. And that's what I was doing on this little plot of land that he gave me. I was so proud out there all the time, pulling weeds, mowing my yard. And when spring turned to summer, last summer was like worse than this summer, just hot and dry. I don't even think we made it to, to July yet. All the grass in the front turned brown and stopped growing. And I have to tell you that I was personally offended because God had given us this, this place. I was out there. I, I bought a push reel mower and I, I'm doing this. And, and, and I even went out there a couple weekends and tried to mow my brown grass. It wasn't growing. And I was disappointed. Well, I shook it off. And late in the summer, we got invited to a cookout at my friend Jeff's house. And we pull up to Jeff's house. And we pull up. We hear all these people in the backyard. So we go around. and I'd never been to Jeff's house before. But we go around and go into the backyard. And it was like... The skies parted and angels started singing. He had the greenest, uh, freshest, perfectly mowed, weed-free lawn that I had ever seen. I go, it's like a wonder. There's people with their shoes off, little babies running around in the grass, and everybody's having a great time. It was like a commercial. And I feel jealousy start to well up in my heart. And so... I went up to Jeff, and Jeff's a little older than me, a little more experienced. And I thought, I'm going to, I own a home, Jeff owns a home, I'm, we're going to talk about grass. So I go up to Jeff, and, you know, I'm just blowing all kinds of smoke at Jeff. Jeff, your grass is amazing. This is, what, look at, look at, there's babies out here with their, you know, rolling around. 
What is your secret? You have to tell me what it is I need to do to make my, all my grasses brown. You, you're the greenest grass on the sh- And I'm just going on and on and on, Jeff. And I finally, Jeff, what do I do? And Jeff doesn't even look at me. He, he, he just kind of smiles, kind of laughs, looks down, shakes his head, and he says one word. Can you guess what it is? Water. And I felt like an idiot. I was complimenting Jeff and going, I'm thinking, you know, which Home Depot do I need to go to to buy the magic grass formula that's going to make it all grow? And I realized right then and there that I, had, I thought I was doing everything right. God had blessed us with this house. I got a push reel mower. You know, I'm not polluting. This is just, this is analog here. And I'm out there, I'm doing everything right. And I forgot to water my grass. And brown it became. Well, some of you are smiling because you probably think you know where I'm going with this. You're probably right. In general, turns out that the way that God designed the world, when you get out and you practice watering your grass... God uses that as an instrument to do a miracle, to turn your grass from brown to green. Now, there's no quick fix. There's no magic formula. There's no secret prayer to go out and you just, or there's no Home Depot with the magic bag of whatever that you can go out, spread on your grass, and bam, it turns green overnight. But you can get out there and water it. And God does something when you practice watering your grass. He uses that as an instrument to do a miracle. And to take that brown grass and turn it green. So today what I want to talk to you about is the practice. One of the practices that we often forget. Even though we go through life, we come to church, we do everything right. And we forget about this practice that God has given us. That in general, just like watering your grass, when you get out there and you start to practice it, God does miracles in your heart and helps to keep your heart alive to the things of God. So there's lots of things you could practice. There's prayers, going to church. The one I want to talk to you about today is one we often forget, and it's the practice of preaching gospel to yourself. In general, the way that God has designed the world, when you practice preaching gospel to yourself on a regular basis, God uses that practice as an instrument to do a work in you to keep you soft and tender to the things of God. So here's the question. Do you want to go deeper in your faith? Do you want to be able to have perseverance through seasons of Spiritual dryness. Do you want your worship to be more lively and passionate? Do you want victory over sin? Well, there's no quick fix. There's no magic conference, magic prayer that you can say and just snap your fingers. You can't change the lawn of your heart from brown to green. But you can practice preaching gospel to yourself. And God does miracles. 
I say, now I'm preaching gospel to yourself. I say preaching because I'm not just talking about contemplation. I'm talking about proclamation. That's what I'm doing before you today. And I say gospel because I'm not just talking about spiritual truths. I'm talking about the good news about who God is, who you are, what's going on in the world. Preaching gospel to yourself. All right, Charlie, I'm in. How do I do it? I'm glad you asked. We have a perfect example, maybe the best example that God has given us on how to do this in Psalm 103. Now, Joe told me before we started that this is one of your church's favorite psalms, that you guys do Psalm 103 all the time, and that is awesome, because you're even that much more familiar with it. I want to invite you today, let's look at it together. And before you, I ask the Lord to help us to see this with fresh eyes and a fresh heart. All right. Charlie, what do we do? Preaching gospel to myself. How do I do it? Okay. Well, if you're a note taker, I'm a note taker. I think everybody should take notes. So if you're up for that, if you're a note taker, get your paper out, get your pencil right at the top. Preaching gospel to myself. And then number it one through four. Because we're going to draw four things out from the text here. So get out your, your notebook or whatever you, you use. And one through four, preaching gospel to myself. Okay, number one from the text, from Psalm 103. Okay, Psalm 103. David is king of Israel. He's the one who wrote this. Let's look at the psalm. Look at verses one and two and tell me who it is that David is talking to. Bless the Lord, O my soul, all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not his benefits. Who is David talking to? Himself, yeah. Now, we find it in the Psalms. That's the prayer book that God has given us in Scripture. So it is appropriate to pray this. But when we examine the text, just just the psalm itself... David's not actually speaking directly to God here. He's speaking to himself in God's presence. Bless the Lord, O my soul. All that is within me, bless his holy name. Now let me tell you a little secret. That sounds religious, doesn't it? Bless the Lord, O my soul, all that is... And when we come across religious-sounding language, especially in the Psalms, it's easy to just blow right over it. So let's look at it slowly. He says, bless the Lord. That means praise the Lord, um, you know, exalt in the Lord, bless the Lord. Well, who's going to bless the Lord? My soul. Now, when I first read this, I I thought that David is addressing the spiritual part of himself. I I bet that that's how you're hearing it now. Because out here in the West, by and large, when we talk about our soul, we're talking about the spiritual part of ourselves. God made us in two parts, physical and spiritual. And oftentimes we talk about the spiritual part of us. That's our soul. And that's good and well. That's just fine. But when David says, bless the Lord, oh, my soul, I'm convinced that's not what he's talking about. Because this idea that, that the that the spiritual part of yourself is called your soul. That's fine. We can call it that. But that doesn't come from Hebrew thinking. That comes from Greek philosophy. And David was 100% unfamiliar with Greek philosophy. 
So David's saying, bless the Lord, oh my soul. Out here in the West, we hear soul with the Greek philosophy definition. Spiritual part of myself. Well, that's not what David's saying because he's not a Greek philosopher. He is familiar, though, with Hebrew philosophy and Hebrew thinking. So if we go back and we try to figure out what soul means in Hebrew thinking, the best place to go is in the Hebrew scriptures. Well, that's awesome because we have them here in our Bibles. And the best place to find a definition for soul, as David's using it, is the first place it's used in Scripture concerning a human being. That's Genesis 2, 7. It's during the creation story. Here's what it says. It says, The Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground. He breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living soul. The Hebrew word there is nephesh. We translate it living soul. So actually what it says is the Lord God made man from the dust of the ground. He breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a nephesh. So body plus breath of life, spiritual part of himself equals nephesh. In ancient Hebrew thinking, the soul was not your spiritual part of yourself. It was the spiritual part of yourself plus your physical body plus your whole being. It was all of who you are, physical and spiritual. That's why David says, bless the Lord on my soul. And then he says, all that is within me, bless his holy name. All right, Charlie, that's cool. But why is that important? Well, here's why it's important. Because out here in Greek philosophy land where we live, we tend to prefer to keep our spiritual life and our physical life separate. Don't we? Over here in physical life land, we go to work nine to five. We provide for our families. We watch Netflix. We hang out with our friends. We do whatever it is we do. And over here in spiritual world, we go to church on Sunday. We You know, we pray and we read our Bibles and we don't like those things affecting each other. You see that? Okay, preaching gospel to yourself. What's the first thing you need to do? Well, according to this example here in Psalm 103, the first thing you do, this is number one, write it on your paper. Call yourself to attention. Call yourself to attention. We tend to prefer living in two worlds. And what we see here from David, inspired by God, showing us how to do this, is saying to ourselves, hey, wake up, get it together. This is a whole life thing. Here's a little secret on a great way to practice doing this. We do it every week here in our churches. That's why when we come in here, well, you get a worship guide. And we, we don't just listen, but we, we read and we talk back and we pray together. You stand up, you sit down, and we sing songs. What happens is you're getting your spiritual life outside of the, of the metaphysical, uh, you know, spiritual world here. And you're getting it into your body. You're calling yourself to attention. So what are some ways that you can do this at home? How do you call yourself to attention? Well, singing is a great way. 
Even if it's in the shower, it's in the car. Letting the spiritual part of yourself, uh, excuse me, letting your body breathing in and out, proclaiming truths about God, singing hymns, tell the spiritual part of yourself what's up. And because it's music, it calls them together. Other things you can do is try praying out loud. Read your Bible out loud. Get out and serve somebody. Let what you believe up here tell your body what to do. Okay, watering the lawn of our heart. That's what we're doing here. Preaching gospel to ourselves. First thing you do, call yourself to attention. All right, number two. What's the second thing you do? Tell yourself who God is. Tell yourself who God is. Call yourself to attention and then tell yourself. Proclaim to yourself who God is. Let me show you from the text. He starts off, bless the Lord, O my soul, all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, forget not his benefits. Who forgives all your iniquity? Who heals all your diseases? Who redeems your life from the pit? Who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy? Who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles? David calls himself to attention and he says, don't forget his benefits. And then he goes on to list the benefits, right? Well, you know, when you get a new job and you go to the cookout at Jeff's house and you tell your, tell your buddies, you say, hey, I just got a new job. And they say, oh, that's, that's great. What are the benefits like? And then you tell them the things that the company does for you, right? Well, they, they pay pretty good and uh, I get three weeks vacation. Wow, that's awesome. And then, I, you know, they, they take care of my health insurance. Well, I got to pay a little bit, but they, but they, they pay, pay, pay most of it. Oh, well, those are great benefits. When I first met, well, let me back up. A couple years ago, I started running for exercise. And I'm out there running. And as a way to practice calling myself to attention, I memorized the first four verses of this psalm. And I would recite it out loud to myself when I ran. Bless the Lord, O my soul. All that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Forget not his benefits. He forgives all your iniquity. He, I just start listing his benefits. And then I went back and I read. The, I used the ESV and I went back and read this in the ESV. And I was kind of upset at myself. Because I'm a little bit of, of a perfectionist. And I like to memorize things word for word. And I, I was upset because it says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, forget not his benefits. Who forgives all your iniquity? Who heals all your diseases? And so I went searching for a translation that said he, because that's the way I like to say it. And I found a couple, but they were different in other parts, so that wouldn't work. So I had to change the way that I memorized it. And it bothered me so much that I decided to do a little research. What is it? Is it he or is it who? So I fire up my computer and pull up a commentary. I had the privilege of going to seminary, so I know a little bit of Hebrew. Pulled up the Hebrew text, and I start looking. Is it he or is it who? Which one is it? And I was surprised to find out that in the Hebrew, it's neither. There's not a he or a who. Those sentences start with those verbs. And those verbs are all written in the form of a present participle. Do you know what a present participle is? Don't worry. I have a master's degree and I didn't know what it was. 
So I kept researching. I looked up Google, present participle. Present participle is when you take a verb and you use it like a noun or an adjective. So we did that in English by adding ing. So I like to run. Run is a verb. You could refer to me as the running man. Use the verb as an adjective. If you're laughing, it's because you love Janet Jackson and you love the running man, and that's hilarious. Okay, I got a few of you to wake up. So in the Hebrew, it's written sort of like this. Just, just I'm going to exaggerate it just to show you. It says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, for getting on his benefits concerning all your iniquity. He's the forgiving one. Concerning your diseases. Healing is who he is. These verbs are all listed as... Ad- and then I go back to the ESV and it hits me. Of course. It says, who forgives all your iniquity? Who heals all your diseases? Turns out, you could trust your English Bible. How about that? If I would have just paid attention to what it said, I would have seen that David is not listing the benefits, the things that God does for you, like the company you work for does things for you in exchange for your services. He's not listing things that God does for us as a benefit of knowing him. He's listing who God is. Who is this God that we bless? Well, he's forgiving. He's healing. He's redeeming. He's the crowning one. And this is so important. It is so important that we get into the practice of telling ourselves who God is because we come to him like an employer. What are you going to do for me? And if you are in any sort of close relationship with anybody, be it your spouse, boyfriend, girlfriend, best friend, brother, sister, whatever, you have probably learned by experience that we should never confuse who someone is for what they do for you. But we do that with God all the time. So would you get in the habit of calling yourself to attention and telling yourself who God is. You know, a way that this has played out in my life, something about me. So I have a disability. I'm low vision, visually impaired, disabled. Now, I said that pretty easily, but it took me a long time to be able to say that out loud in front of people, that D word, disabled. I have a complex series of vision disorders it, it, uh, that render me low vision, and it affects my whole life. It affects my life. It affects Becca's life. It puts parameters around what I can do and can't do. And years ago, when I was on this first doctor journey trying to figure out what was going on, um, I, I started praying. I believe that God heals. He's the healer. So I believe that he heal- I started praying that he would heal me. And some of my friends and people at church, they, people would come up to me. Hey, can I pray that you would be healed? Yeah, sure. Sounds great. And prayed and prayed and prayed. And people prayed for me and prayed for me and prayed for me. I did the thing it says in James chapter 1. I went to the elders of my church, confessed my sins, anointed me with oil, prayed for my healing. 
And I would open my eyes after each prayer with great expectation. And it would just be me and these broken eyeballs. And I became deeply angry. Because I have a relationship with God. And I wanted him to do something for me. And what God taught me through that process is that healing is not something he does. He is the healing one. Healing is who he is. And I found out that in this season of my life, continuing till today, the pain of my life from physical disability has driven me to my knees over and over again. It has caused me to reach out for God, to cry out for God, to rely on God. It has caused me to search my heart, to confess deep sins, to long for him, to trust and respect my wife in a whole new way, to love her even more. And I found out that God was letting me live with some pain because he is the healing one. And the healing one heals all my diseases. And there are things diseased in me that go much deeper than these eyeballs. And I'm willing to bet the same is true for you. When we confuse what God does with who he is, what happens is over time, the grass in our heart starts to turn brown. And we grow cold and angry to the things of God. While he stands with open invitation, saying, Charlie, saying to you, I am healing. I am redemption. Stop asking for benefits like you ask your boss and come to me. All who are weary and heavy laden. I give rest because of who I am. Now we need to tell that to ourselves. Okay. Watering the lawn of our heart. First thing you do. Call yourself to attention. I don't know if you talk back to Eric, but you can talk back to me. Second thing you do. Tell yourself who God is. Okay, the third thing. Tell yourself who you are. Tell yourself who you are. Look with me at verse 14. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. The wind passes over it and it's gone. It's place it knows no more. Who are you? Dust. What a downer. So I was all excited about that, you know, who he business we just talked about. That I saw this dust thing. I thought, man, that's dark. There's got to be something else there. So I fire up my computer and look, start looking at the Hebrew The Hebrew word for dust is afar. Can you guess what it means? It just means dust. There's nothing magic there. We are nothing but dust. Do you know what that means? That means it's not about you. The world doesn't revolve around you. You are not that important. We are dust. Okay. Now some of us know that we're dust. That's me. We wake up in the morning, we're immediately aware of the pain in our life, we're immediately aware of the frustration, and you know, we know this. So maybe we should look for what else this verse says about who we are and proclaim that to ourselves. What else? Oh, you know what? I haven't told you that yet. 
Check this out. So I'm doing all this research. I find out that dust means dust. And I'm pretty, I'm pretty disappointed. But in doing the research, I found out this. You know where the first place dust is used in the Bible? Genesis 2, 7. How about that? The Lord God made man from the dust, afar, of the ground. Breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a nephesh, a living soul. Okay, some of you know that you're dust. That's me. You don't need to be reminded. You already have a low enough view of yourself. You need to remember that you are dust, but you are dust that has been called to life by the breath of God. That he has put you together and that he has given you a life. He has given you a purpose. You need to tell yourself that. You need to tell yourself that you're flourishing. Yes, it is like the flowers of the field. It's here and it's gone. The grass in the field turns brown. But it's like the flowers of the field. We love flowers. God loves flowers. Okay, now some of you think, already know that you're a flower. You know that you have been kissed by God and brought to life. If you are wondering if that's you, ask your friends and family after the service. They'll tell you. Some of you know, and you need to remind yourself that you're dust. Now this is not complicated. You need to tell yourself who you are. You are dust. And you're not that important. But God, in all of his glory, had stopped on his way, bent down and kissed you on the mouth and given you a life. Okay. Preaching the gospel to ourselves, watering the lawn of our heart. First thing you do. Call yourself to t- Second thing you do. Tell yourself who God. Third thing you do. Tell yourself who you are. Okay, number four. Here we go. Now, tell yourself what God does. Now it's time. Number four, tell yourself what God does. Look with me at verse 10. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as east is from west, that's how far he removes our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. What does God do? He shows compassion. He removes sin. He expresses steadfast love. Tell yourself what God does. We need to tell ourselves those things. But you see, the order matters. You've got to tell yourself who God is and who you are before you start talking about what he does. Just so you don't get mixed up thinking he's your employer like we talked about before. Now it's time to tell yourself what God does. And the end result here is that it leads to worship. Look at how this psalm ends. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens. His kingdom rules over all. The angels bless him. The hosts of heaven, ministers of heaven do his will. All of his works in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord. David's picture of God just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. As he's proclaiming to himself who God is, who he himself is, and what God does. What does God do? He loves. He shows compassion. He removes sin. 
How much does he do those things? Well, how, how high is heaven from earth? I don't know. It's immeasurable. How far is east from west? It's not a real distance. Infinity plus one. How much does a good father love his kids? Immeasurable. That's how much God loves you. That's how much he removes your sins from you. That's how much he shows you compassion. Okay. Charlie. That's great. Thank you for coming to preach at our church. That, that's awesome. I appreciate it. Uh, I got my four things here. Watering the lawn of my heart. Preach the gospel to myself. That's great. But um, I'm not David. I'm not a Bible hero. I can't just pull this liturgical beauty out of thin air and just start rolling it off to myself. I'm just, I just live in Hillsboro, just doing my job. This is great, thank you, but I don't know, I don't have the content for all of this like David did. Anybody identify with that? You know where David got all this information? Look at verse 7. He didn't get all this information because he's a Bible hero. He didn't get all this information because he's a liturgical master songwriter. He got this information from where? Verse 7. God made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. David knew all of this because God had revealed himself to Moses. And David had a copy of Moses' book. We too have a copy of Moses' book. It's the first five books of the Bible. And that's how David knew the content to fill his outline, his four things, for his sermon to himself that he preaches every day. Because God revealed himself to Moses. Well, I am here to tell you folks that we have someone who is far better than Moses. Don't we? God revealed himself to Moses, his acts to the the people of Israel, the community that God had gathered around Moses that David was a part of. And we have someone better than Moses. And we have the maturing of that community here in the church. We have Jesus greater than Moses. You know, in Hebrews 1, it says that long ago and many times and in many ways, God revealed himself to the prophets like Moses or David. But in these last days, that's today, he has revealed himself through his son. That's Jesus, who he has appointed the heir of all things. So you might just be a dude or a lady living in Hillsboro. You might not be a Bible hero. But I'll tell you what. You got one of these? Are you a member of the community that's gathered around God's redemptive plan, this community here in this church? And do you look to Jesus for your information about God that you're telling yourself? Because it's in Jesus that we are called to attention as physical, spiritual human beings. God himself became a man 
He put on flesh. Spiritual, physical, called together. That's in Christ. It is in Christ that we know who God is because he has revealed himself in Jesus. Second Corinthians chapter 1, it says that all the promises of God find their yes in Jesus. That's how we know who God is. It's when we look to Jesus that we find the truth about who we are. That God himself has come after us. He has become one of us, vouching for our existence and calling us to himself. That's in Jesus. So here we are, watering the lawn of our heart. Calling ourselves to attention. Telling ourselves who God is, telling ourselves who we are, and telling ourselves what God has done. Would you take up the practice? And would you remember that Jesus is the key? And if you didn't write down your four things, I invite you to pick up a pencil right now and on a piece of paper write down one word Jesus. You can find life and growth in the worst drought and heat. Call yourself to attention. Tell yourself who God is in Jesus. Tell yourself who you are in Jesus. Tell yourself what God has done on your behalf in Jesus for his people. And you watch. You watch. As your heart grass goes from brown to green and you find yourself like David full of praise to the God who is in the heavens served by all of creation let's pray Lord God thank you for your word thank you for um Everything that you have expressed to us to reveal, reveal to us in Christ. Lord, thank you that everything that we need for life and flourishing is found in Christ. It's written here in this book. It's found here in this community. God, I pray that you would give us the grace To stand up, to call ourselves to attention, to be proclaimers of the truth about God, to be honest about who we really are. And may your beautiful act of redemption in the person of Jesus ever be on our lips and on our mouth. Would you call us to life? In Christ's name. Amen.